I'm Christy Hurt, the founder of The CoLab, which is a member-led, inclusive global networking community for fashion, beauty, wellness, retail, and consumer luxury professionals. I'm glad you're back for season two, where we have more career stories. Every week, two members interview each other, so you'll get to hear two different stories. I hope you'll learn from these stories, listen to them, share them, and join us and tell your own story. This is Danielle Kayembe, and I'm happy to be interviewing Erin Halper. And I would love to um, kick off our interview. Um, I am a founder and entrepreneur, and I'm excited to be um, sharing um, this this uh, this podcast with Erin. Um, and Erin, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Danielle, on the CoLab Career Stories. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Um, so, um, can you? Do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I am, as of today, the CEO of an award-winning community and accelerator for consultants called the Upside. Um, I spent my entire career, pretty much, in private equity, spanning real estate, private equity, uh, straight private equity, even fund of funds, hedge funds, and then launched my own consultancy, which I ran for seven years, and then started The Upside in 2017 to help more professionals redefine the nine to five and leverage their networks and their careers into a consultancy that let them work when, where, and how they want. Oh my gosh, that is incredibly um, incredibly, incredibly impressive. And I know from looking at your bio, I mean, you, it looks like you worked on close to 3 billion in, in deals in as an investor. Um, and then you also are a mentor at Columbia University's Alma Work Startup and NYU's Trep Camp uh, Entrepreneur Simulator. Um, and have also, it looks like just spoken at so many events. So for Harvard University, Brown, um, and Hey Mamas and Ladies Get Paid. So you are an incredibly impressive and busy woman, as you should be. Thanks, Danielle. Yeah, well, we met. Um, we really got to know each other. We spoke at Brown together, what, three years ago? And we we even did a road trip together um, going we up to, to Brown University for that talk. And got to know each other really, really well. And I'm so glad that it like full circle three years later, here we are on the CoLab career stories together. I know it's so, it's so exciting. It's full circle. And um, so can you tell us where you're based? Yeah, I'm based in a suburb of New York City. So, you know, two bedroom apartment, two kids in the city. Uh, that was it. New York City chewed us up, spit us out into the suburbs, luckily before COVID happened. So we have a house and a yard and I work between my house and a co-working space called the Coco in our town. And then I also work out of New York City. Amazing. You really have kind of that combination of, you know, city and suburb, which is what we all dream about. Um, well, I don't know if we all dream about it, but for us, <laughs> for us, the, uh, the six-bedroom townhouse was just not in the card. So it was either, um, you know, the $20 million townhouse or move to the suburbs. And we really looked at our wallets and said, I think the suburbs is probably more in our budget. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you tell me where you grew up and where you went to school? Yeah, I grew up in um, a little known town called Spartanburg, South Carolina. Not a lot of people know that about me, but it's a big part of my story because I am not a New Yorker, as most people think. Um, I am not even from the Northeast. I grew up a Southern girl and I left when I was around 15, 16 years old. I went to a New England boarding school called Berkshire School, which was, wow, just one of the best times of my life. It was a real coming of age period of my life. It helped me see the world really very differently. I I had only had one lens before going to boarding school and it just opened my eyes to different types of people, what's out there. It also opened my eyes to all the growth that I needed to do personally, having been raised in, in one place my whole life. And then from there, I went to George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And I spent three, not four years there because one of those years I spent in Paris. I went to Parsons School of Design in Paris, France for a year. So I had a business undergrad degree, but I was able to spend one year studying art and fashion and design in Paris. I literally saved every single elective I had at GW from freshman year on so that I could do that one year abroad. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I came back a completely changed person, um, so much more independent. It was it, it was unbelievable, that transformation. And then the day I graduated GW, packed my bags, got on a train and went to New York City. Oh my goodness. This is such an incredible story. Can you say why, a little bit more about kind of why you made these choices and um, would you do it differently today or the same? Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. And it's funny because I have these dreams sometimes. I don't know if you ever have these. I have these dreams sometimes where I'm deciding on colleges, but I'm not 17 or 18. I'm like my age now, <laughs> my 40s. And I don't know why I'm deciding on colleges, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm going through the process, I'm interviewing, I'm looking at schools, and I'm trying to decide what school's the best fit for me. And I still end up at GW. It's like this weird thing. The, the thing about GW that I loved was that it was in Washington, D.C., and I absolutely love Washington. I think it is such a cool city. It's just full of powerful people, interesting people, intellectual people, and I almost stayed there, actually. But when I realized I didn't want any kind of career in politics, I felt like New York was probably the better fit. But as far as GW went, what was interesting is it, it was the right choice for me. The problem was I was a bit of a fish out of water because it was very heavy Northeastern kids going there. And I was not a Northeastern kid. Even though I kind of looked like I was, I wasn't. I did not fit in to the mainstream you know, crowd at GW. And I had a lot of maturing and growing up to do. I wasn't as sophisticated as a lot of those kids. I, you know, I remember they, it, this was you know, 1997, 1998, and they all had you know, these black Prada bags and they all had these like juicy 
velvet or velour jumpsuits. I don't even know what they're like, <laughs> but, but it was very cool at the time. And I had no idea what any of that stuff was because I was coming from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and then a New England boarding school where you know J. Crew was basically Gucci. And I really did not fit in. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have the right hair. I didn't have, I just didn't fit in in that way. I just wasn't polished the way those kids were polished. And I had never been to a nightclub. I'd never been to a bar. These are kids that grew up in the suburbs of Philly and New York and Boston, and they had already done all that stuff before. So I was very much a late bloomer in a lot of ways. And it took me a a few years to catch up. And by the time I did catch up to everybody, it was already time to graduate and go to New York. So <laughs> in that way, it was it was a little bit of a challenge for me socially because I didn't really feel like I fit in with any group. But it also pushed me out of my comfort zone because I was so used to being friends with everyone at a small New England boarding school or being friends with the same people since kindergarten, since I was born and raised in the same town, and then getting pushed into an environment that was so uncomfortable socially for me that it pushed me to grow and it pushed me to get out of my comfort zone and and mature and grow from that experience. Wow. And it's it's so interesting because I think of you as so incredibly polished and sophisticated. Like you're one of, you know, one of the women in my circles that I look at and I'm like, she is always on point. And when I hear your story, what I hear is, um, you know, college in Washington, a year in Paris, you know, Parsons and New York. I mean, I hear all of these incredible touch points that, because I do think of you as someone who's kind of you know, very elegantly and kind of pulls off this um, polish and sophistication. So um, they're synonymous with Aaron Halper in my head, at least. Well, I appreciate that. And gosh, when you put it that way, it does sound very good. But 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 there's a lot more to to those stories as are as is most people's story. You know, there was a lot of struggle, a lot of personal development that needed. To to happen. Um, I was alone a lot, to be honest. When I went to Paris, when I went to Parsons, Paris, I didn't know anybody. I literally transferred out of GW into Parsons and transferred back because there wasn't a formal year abroad program between the two schools. Wow. And I didn't even have a place to live. I stayed at a youth hostel for a week. I found a roommate. I mean, I don't know why my, or how my parents let me do this because that is just crazy. I would never let my kids do that. I was like, what were they thinking? I didn't even have a place to live. Maybe I lied to them and said I did. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, you yeah, know, there was a lot, of, um, a lot of uncomfortable times. Incredible story of your tenacity. Um. Oh my goodness. Um, I could talk about this all day. Um, so next question, I'd love to hear, um, just cause your, your story so far has been so interesting. Um, could you tell how you started your career? Because it sounds like you, um, did this time in Paris, came back, you finished your degree and then went to New York. Could you say more about kind of what, how you started your career and how that went? Yes. Well, I graduated in the lovely year of 2001, which um, if you're old enough to know, that was a terrible, terrible year to graduate. Um, not 
dissimilar to 2020 or 2021, terrible year to graduate. It was the end of a tech bubble bust. The economy was already tanking and it wasn't even September yet when the Twin Towers fell and then the whole thing tanked. So it was already terrible and there were no jobs to be found. I was originally supposed to work at Jive Records, working in their teen department um, with you know Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake, and it was supposed to be this cool, awesome job. Well, that did not happen. They eliminated the, the position. It never happened. So I graduate and I sleep on my sister's futon in her studio apartment for several weeks while I look for jobs. And I just took whatever I could find, which ended up being an assistant position for a VP at Frederick Fakai. Um, if for anyone who doesn't know what Frederick Fakai is, it's a beauty company. At the time, they were a, a high-end salon, beauty products, and accessories. They had accessories at that time. So I was working for the assistant of the accessories department. That experience um, was interesting because what I learned was I do not want to work in beauty or fashion. I think just because I had such, I just didn't have a great experience. Quite honestly, it felt a lot like that movie, The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> it, it really was. I, I watched that movie. I was like, oh, they must have like been spying on my my 20s and and wrote a whole book and movie about it because that really was my experience. And and I loved my coworkers. I had a you know great friendships, but the overall experience was very much like that. And I didn't like being made to feel lesser than because I felt like I was better than that and I shouldn't have to put up with that kind of treatment. It was very archaic. Um, my boss was um, extremely traditional in that way. And what happened? September 11th happened and the whole department got laid off. So I was only there for five or six months. And what that allowed me to do with my career was to press the reset button. I'd only been working for like five months. I didn't like the industry. I was now able to collect unemployment and breathe a little bit and be able to take some time and think about what I wanted to do next. And what I wanted to do next was start over completely from scratch. I knew I loved entrepreneurship, but I also knew I was too young to do anything in that space at that time. Remember, this was 20-something years ago. It was before the internet was the internet that you see today where anybody can start a company. It wasn't sophisticated like that. So to start a company was really, really difficult back then. So I was like, you know what? I know I need more time. How do I get into the entrepreneurship space without being an entrepreneur? And so I thought, very naively, oh, I'll work in venture capital, like as if that's so easy to do. And the, the more I looked for jobs, the more I realized, oh, they want someone who either went to Harvard or like has some sort of MBA or has a rich parent who introduces them. Or I realized I was probably not going to get a job in venture capital, but I met somebody at a party. His name is Frank Rocco Grande. And he went to GW like I did, but not at the same time. He was five years older than I. And he said, hey, nice to meet you. What do you do? I said, well, actually, I'm, I'm currently looking for a role in private equity or venture capital. And he said, oh, that's so interesting. Well, my company is actually hiring for an entry-level analyst. We have a venture capital arm. Would you like to interview for it? And I said, absolutely. And I got that job. 
And that was the start of my career in private equity, venture capital. That job opened the door to many other opportunities um, down the road, different different full-time employment opportunities that I, I really, really enjoyed. I loved that industry. I loved it. And I also liked being paid better than I was before. And I also liked being able to move up the ladder based on efficiency and accomplishments, not based on how much time you spend in a role. I remember back in my days at Frederick Fakai, I, I mean, I was somebody's, literally someone's assistant, like, like going to get her personal, like dry cleaning and stuff. I mean, I, it was, you know, not a very uh, sophisticated role and I was really ready to move up and do something else. And my boss said, well, you spend two years as an assistant. Then after two years, you get promoted to an associate. And then after those two years, you'll be, I was like, oh, you can just stop right there. That's not happening. Like, no, thank you. I was like, why wouldn't you reward somebody who's already mastered the role and why not give them more responsibility? Why is there this strict program that you have. So I liked being in private equity because if you're awesome, they will move you up. Like they will move you up. You will get more responsibility, more money. Um, and I really liked that system a whole lot better and it was better suited for me. So I, I did that for several years. And then when I was 30, I left to be a consultant. I got married and I wanted to work when, where, and how I wanted. And it was very frivolous and very a very privileged decision, by, you know, for lack of a better term. And then a year after consult, I started consulting. I was pregnant with my first son. And at the 20 weeks ultrasound, they said there's something wrong with the baby. Oh, now, no. the ending of the story is that he is perfectly healthy. He's almost 10 years old. You'd never know anything happened to him. So I have to start with that. But back then, there was something wrong with the baby. And he ended up needing a gazillion doctor's appointments. That's a real number, gazillion doctor's appointments and multiple heart surgeries. And now he's perfectly fine. But back then, I thought to myself, my God, if I had a full-time job right now, how could I possibly balance the health of my baby, and the demands of a full-time job. I was so grateful for what started out as a want, you know, wanting to have that flexibility turned out to be a need. And it was not lost on me that other people did not have that same setup. And other people were having to take a leave of absence, you know, they, or struggle to, to do both. There were parents that weren't able to spend the night in the hospital with their kids because they had to work. You know, I was able to bring a laptop and work in his hospital room for weeks at a time. And that was really the seed that was planted for the upside. So fast forward seven years later, I started the upside in 2017 because I wanted to help more people redefine their nine to five, get that flexibility. They deserve it. It's easy. They just have to know how to do it. And, and that is how the upside started. That is, first of all, what an incredible, this isn't even a story, it's a saga. <laughs> um, because you, I mean, just listening to your story, there's so many like touch points for me. Um, even thinking to how you got your first position in, in um, the private equity space that, you know, I remember, you know, being in New York, I think 
maybe around that time or a little after you, but that was the magic of New York. Right, that you could um, you could go out and you could you know run into people, meet people that, and you could transform your whole life in one evening, right? And there were these social connections, um, you know, kind of by going out and meeting people and interacting with others. And I think that that's something really unique about New York, and it's a uniquely New York story. And I know so many people who who have that experience. And I, I just always think of that as the magic of New York. So it's, I love hearing that as, yeah. as part of your journey, right? Yeah. Well, one night, one connection, you know, it's this domino effect. I will tell you one more thing, since you're bringing up the magic of New York and those connections and the interconnectivity that happens in New York, mm-hmm. that gentleman I mentioned, Frank Rocco Grande, that, that introduced me to that, that first job. At that job, which I got through Frank Rocco Grande, I shared an office with a woman. She was my age. We would chit chat about our boyfriends all day long. And, you know, sometimes we went out socially together. She was my office mate. Well, six years later, and I'll cut to the chase, I ended up meeting my husband through that girl. Wow. And it all comes back to that one connection, that one door, that one apartment party I went to that one person I met, that door that opened all sorts of different opportunities for me, including meeting my husband. Would I have met him if I had never worked there, if I had never met Frank? I don't know. But you know, that's, that's why I always tell people, every person you meet is a door to unknown opportunities. Yeah. You just never know what's behind each door. So treat everybody as such. Wow. I, that's just, I I love that. And you just, you seem like someone who has taken, who has walked through the door of opportunity so many times in your life, you've taken those risks and you've gone after what you wanted to pursue, even if it, you know, on this, like came with some challenges attached to it. I mean, I worked in finance. I know that, you know, just starting as an analyst in any financial industry is not an easy thing. And to have gone after that and made your mark and um, have achieved some success is, is, um, is incredible. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, I also just, you know, wanted to ask, I mean, I love what you shared about um, what having a career as a consultant allowed you to do and how that, um, empowered you to want to create that same opportunity for other women. Um, is that like, is that what you're most proud of in your career? Cause to me, that just sounds so, it sounds so inspiring. You've built this life that's focused on, you know, providing this incredible value, this life changing value and, uh, independence to other women. Yeah. Well, I was really driven by wanting to make a change. I saw a situation that bothered me so badly that I had to do something about it. And I felt like I had the background and the tools not to solve it completely, but to attack it and solve it from my specific angle. And luckily, there's lots of other people out there who also are trying to change the future of work and change the way we work. This was the way I solved the problem because I was coming from an independent consulting background and it worked really well for my life and my career. So I thought, well, this is how I'm going to try to solve this problem from this angle. 
And making that impact, helping people, changing people's lives, that that's why I got into this business. It's really motivating when you have a mission-driven or social impact company. It doesn't mean it has to be a nonprofit. We are very much a for-profit company, but that mission-driven part of us, that is what gets me out of bed every single day. If I was selling widgets, I don't think I would be as driven as I am making more of an impact on people's lives. Yeah. So just given all of this, um, what is next for you? What is, you know, what is next for, for what you're building? Wow. Well, your guess is as good as mine, Danielle. I think, you know, I, I, I'm really like a one quarter at a time kind of business person. You know, a lot of people like to plan a year, three, four years ahead. I can't look that far into the future. I don't know what's next after the upside because I think the upside is going to have a very, very long run. I mean, every quarter we keep growing and growing. 2020 was huge for us, huge, because we are already a digital-only company. And with what happened, what happened was, oh my God, like people were just leaving their jobs left and right during covid they were starting their own consultancies and we were there to catch them. We were right there for them. So we have our membership for established consultants and that grows every single quarter. It's an application process. And then we also offer an accelerator program for early stage consultants, which rolls out twice a year. We're actually rolling out our next one. We're starting to promote it in April of 2021. It should launch May third of 2021. So what's next? Just keep, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and, and see what happens after that. That's incredible. And I, I know that you, you work with a lot of women and, um, have really, um, really helped to supercharge the work that they do in their lives and in their work. Um, are there any, um, any parting words that you would have for us? I just like people to not look at consulting as risk. A lot of people, especially people coming from corporate, are so risk averse. And they're taught that they're not worth a lot without a company behind behind them to back them up. And it's just not true. And I like to tell people, thinking, think about what's the better investment? What's the better bet? Betting on yourself? or betting on corporate, betting on a company. And personally, I think that betting on yourself is the better investment. It's the better choice. So I that those are my parting words is, is for anyone who's saying, oh, I don't know, I, I'm too, too risk averse to start my own thing. Um, consulting is the lowest investment business you could possibly make. And it's got the highest ROI, which is your own happiness and flexibility. I am so inspired by this conversation with you today, and there's so much that I learned about you, and I think so many other women listening to this will also be inspired to really design their best lives. Um, And so can I ask, how can people learn more about, um, about about your company if they're interested in joining your community? Sure. They can find us at B the upside.com. Fantastic. 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Erin. This was such an enlightening conversation and so inspirational, the way that you've chosen to live your why and your purpose um, in terms of helping and inspiring other women and supporting them in creating their own lives. My name is Danielle Kayembe, and thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Danielle. Thanks for listening to the CoLab Career Stories. Follow us on social media at Join the CoLab and join us so you can tell your story.